It's been an awesome, awesome series. Uh, this is the book we've kind of been uh, going through as a community of faith. Um, they're available for $10 in the foyer. It's just been an awesome series. Next week, we start a new series called Fierce. And uh, we're going to be looking at some stories of women in the Bible, sto- stories of courage and bravery, and it's going to be amazing. Speaking of uh, women uh, of love and bravery, our ladies' night out event that happened on Monday night was just absolutely incredible. Here's some pictures of the event. Nearly 70 women filled 50 baskets full of lotions and fragrances and all kinds of stuff that we delivered, uh, that our women in our church delivered to women who have just been freed from human trafficking. And so thank you so much for your donations. Thank you for serving. It was incredible, incredible. Uh, one of the things I want to mention to you guys, in the foyer on your way out, there are some cards of some supplies that we need to put on a vacation Bible school for inner city children in Selma. And so if you, on your way out, want to grab a little card, it has like two boxes of Lucky Charms. You grab that card, and then you bring the two boxes of Lucky Charms back next week. So on your way out, those are available in the info table. Uh, That way we can help bring uh, donations and uh, provide this amazing vacation Bible school in Selma, California. Bob Goff, the author here of this book, um, is an attorney, and he's an official honorary consul to the Republic of Uganda. And one of the biggest problems in much of Africa is witchcraft. Witch doctors have immense power in rural villages. And when we hear the word witch doctor, like I think of like Alvin and the Chipmunks, right? The ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, well, well, bing, bang, right? Like, it's like a joke to us. It's not a joke there. Like they have these villages in bondage and they, uh, they, they have immense power in the rural areas. And in Uganda, there uh, has never been any prosecution of any witch doctors. Often, uh, they'll do children, child sacrifice. They'll kidnap a child and sacrifice them uh, for more power in a community. Witch doctors have never been prosecuted in Uganda because they feared, uh, they were so feared by the masses. So in his travels, Bob Goff meets uh, a judge in Uganda uh, who's willing to uh, try a witch doctor for, for child sacrifice. But Bob said that we've got to find a victim who has survived an attack, and, the, and also this victim has to be willing to testify. This is not an easy task. But enter Charlie. Charlie was kidnapped by a witch doctor named Kabi. He was taken into the jungle where he was permanently maimed, but he escaped and he was willing to testify. So there's this massive trial in Uganda, the first in its history against a witch doctor, and the entire nation is watching. Bob writes that the video trial was recorded, and there's a moment where Kavi, this witch doctor, stares into the camera, and as he stares into the camera and gives an evil look, the camera goes to static. He says it's, it is terrifying. Charlie testified and Kabi was going to an Ugandan prison. The word of Kabi's conviction went out to 41 million people. The courage of a four-foot-tall little boy named Charlie changed the history of a nation. What a victory. What love. But then something else happened. Something else happened. Something stirred in Bob sometime later, and he was somehow moved towards Kabi. So he finds out what prison he's in. And he makes the trip from Southern California to Uganda. And while he's there, Kabi sees him. And as he approaches him, he, he expresses his heartfelt sorrow for all that he had done. 
And while in prison, Kabi becomes a Christian. Bob was there to witness his first sermon as Kabi testifies to all the other prisoners. Bob said it was the worst sermon I ever heard. He goes, it was all over the place. It didn't make quite theological sense, but his heart was there and people responded to the gospel. Somehow, people responded. And Bob asked Kabi, what do you need? Kabi said this. He said, everybody wants witch doctors around, but nobody wants to be close to us. We're lonely. They fear us. And to be honest, most of us witch doctors don't even know how to read. So you know what Bob did? He built a school in Uganda for witch doctors to teach him how to read. And you know what their two textbooks are to learn English, to learn how to read? The Bible and his first book, Love Does. Those are the two books that he teaches witch doctors in Uganda how to read. This is insane. And there's been a radical change in witchcraft in that country. Bob holds witchcraft, witch doctor conferences because he's an honorary consul. He says they have to come. They don't, but he says they do. And they all show up. And he says, if you hurt a child, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. And there's been a dramatic decrease in the loss of life because of what he's doing. It's insane. Why in the world would you be willing to help a people group so bent on hurting others? Well, Bob follows Jesus. And here's one of the most controversial things Jesus ever said. If you have your Bibles, go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, the first book of the New Testament. This is incredible. Matthew 5, 38, it'll be on the screens. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemy is one of the most outlandish and beautiful things in the teachings of Jesus. It's a world changer. And just this past week, uh, I got a lesson in, lo in loving your enemies. On Friday, my son and I and my nephew Carlo, we go to Wild Water Adventures, right? My son loves the water park. He's so excited. He's been asking me about it all the time, and so we go. And as we're, we get there, I'm getting ready to turn into the lot, and it's a 30-minute wait just to get into the parking lot. And I'm like, this didn't happen. This never happened before. So we finally get in, and then we get to the gate. Park opens at 11. It's 11.20, and we're waiting like 30 minutes. So finally, I kind of start asking what's going on, and they said, well, there's a private event. Apparently, there's some celebrity here. And I go, I don't care who this celebrity is. Like, that is mean, you know? Like, all of us waiting, my kids waiting in the sun for an hour. And uh, turns out, the celebrity of this private event just happens to be the quarterback of the football team that I hate the most. <laughs> was none other than Derek Carr. Now, he's my enemy. He threw a touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree with eight seconds left to, to defeat us on Monday Night Football last season. And he made us wait one hour to get into this water park. How am I supposed to love him? Now, I'm sure he's a good guy. In fact, he rented the whole park for his son's five-year birthday party. That's great. That's cool. I still want him to lose every game ever. Uh, 
This, is a, this teaching of Jesus here, loving your enemy, is extremely difficult. It was difficult in the first century as well. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said. And right there when he says, you've heard it was said, they're all like, oh yeah, duh. He's quoting the law. He's quoting the Old Testament. And let's read what Jesus is actually quoting. Uh, Exodus 21, it's on the screens. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, is this not like the mother of all hypotheticals, right? Two dudes are fighting and they accidentally hit a pregnant woman who gives birth early. What? Okay, that's in the Bible. Here we go. But there's no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Sounds barbaric, right? But in the ancient world, this is a massive step forward in the cause of justice. See, it was a violent world where capital punishment was really the only kind of punishment. You cut off my hand, you die. You steal my horse, you die. You eat the dessert that I've been saving in the refrigerator, you die. And so this was the world in which the law arises. And so this eye for eye, tooth for tooth stuff, fair is fair. It might just sound barbaric, but let's just look inside ourselves right now. If someone punches you in the gut, what do you do? Punch him in the face, right? Uh, our natural bend is not to get even, it's to get ahead. This eye for eye, tooth for tooth stuff becomes the building blocks of what we now have in our criminal justice system. In Latin, it's called lax talionis, the law of retaliation. This is where we get the idea of the punishment must fit the, it comes from right here. Uh, so after quoting law, Jesus gives three scenarios. And I just want to say this. At 9 a.m. today, our power went out. So like, we were like, okay, I think we might have like a candlelight service. Um, and so we had all these plans for 30 minutes and we have a group of people praying and then the other group of people figuring out a plan when 300 people show up at our church in 30 minutes and boom, the lights turned on. And I just, I, I love that. And so that's why it's a little bit hotter than it normally is all up in here. Thanks for bearing with us. Um, but I just love that image. Martin Luther says, pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on you. And that's exactly what happened this morning at 9 a.m. We had a bunch of saints praying as if everything depended on God, and it does. But we had a contingency plan, and we were working our tails off to make sure we could accommodate all of this. So after quoting, thanks. Yeah, you bet. After quoting the law, Jesus gives three scenarios. Scenario one, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. And it's talking about the face cheek. Um, so we're clear. Good game. Uh, that's not what was happening. Now, uh, it's referring to a backhand, okay? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a backhand across the right cheek. You would never use your left hand to strike someone open-handed like this. Why? Well, in the ancient world, they didn't have toilet paper. There was no Charmin, okay? So you would use your left hand. So you would never use it in public. You would never touch someone with it. You would never. So when it says, uh, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, it's referring to a right backhand. That's demoralizing. It's, it's a shame honor culture. And so by you backhanding someone, you're saying, I'm better than you. This was what a master would do to a slave. If you're struck on the right cheek, that person's shaming you. 
And then Jesus says, give them the other one as well. To give your other cheek is to stand up to them and demand that they don't see you as inferior, but as an equal. When you turn the other cheek, you're affirming your value and you're exposing their arrogance. We don't have an honor culture uh, system like ancient Israel, but we do have blogs, Twitter, social media, whispers and gossip, right? So a slap in the ancient world puts someone in their place. It puts someone below you. Gossip does the same. A mean post online does the same. We're shaming people made in the image of God. Scenario two. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Uh, in the ancient world, there were three items of clothing that people would have. They had the loincloth, underwears. Then they had the shirt. And then they had the coat. When the coat doubled as a blanket at night, it would get cold. And so, it, and actually, it was illegal to take someone's coat for more than a few hours. You could take their shirt, that's fine. But the coat had to be returned because it was literally their lifeline. So someone wants to sue you. Take everything you have. They want to take the shirt off your back. Jesus says, give them your coat as well. So there you are standing in a loincloth. You might expose yourself but you're exposing their selfishness and their greed. You're making them aware of what they're doing. Scenario three, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. A Roman soldier at any time could ask any citizen to carry all their gear. Their shield alone was 54 pounds and you could carry it one mile, nothing more. It's equivalent to having Nazis come and overtake our country and, and, and then just ask any random stranger to carry all their military gear. Or the Taliban comes in, terrorist organization, much like Rome. And if you're a Christ follower, while you walk alongside your enemy under the burdens of his weapons of war, you take time to remind yourself the reality of who this soldier really is. He is a man made in the image of God and is precious and, and loved by the Creator. This Roman's race, religion, and the role he plays as your oppressor fade into obscurity compared to the love that you know that God has for him. Here's a man who has been victimized since childhood of, of, with these lies of an oppressive state and turned him into a killer. Yes, you're at war, but not with him. You're at war with the ideas that have put you both into this situation. And so at the end of your mile, when the Roman centurion releases you from your obligation begins to look for another person to press on to service, you change the whole dynamic through love. You don't drop his gear, but instead you keep walking with him. And at first he's confused, right? This experience is beyond any kind of paradigm he has for explanation. But not wanting to get into an argument with someone who's trying to be helpful, he accepts your offer and you start walking again. Now everything has changed for you and for him. For you, the first mile was oppression. The second mile was freedom. While the first mile was compulsion, the second mile was out of volition. While the first mile was an expression of systematic hate, the second mile becomes an example of reconciling love. While the first mile is the way of the kingdom of Rome, the second mile is the way of the kingdom of Christ. It forces everything into a humanizing relationship. You have given him the chance to see you more than a slave, the chance to see you as a fellow human being. 
And on the surface, enemy love might not work in every case scenario. In fact, it got Jesus killed. But followers of Jesus don't live life on the surface. We look beneath skin tone, clothing, attitudes, accents. We look past the hatred to see the love that God has for everyone. Now, a common misconception about this teaching is that you're letting people run all over you, right? Oh, they're just going to run all over you. You go a second mile, you give them the coat. You, you're just letting them run all over you. Jesus doesn't say let them. He actually gives you a specific strategy for a response. He's teaching you to go one above, let them, and he's saying bless them. Where they're ready to fight, you're ready to love. And this is tough stuff because we often have this negativity bias. And uh, we start with this and it's innate to our human experience. Let me explain it for a second. Negativity bias is good for survival. We humans as a race have this built into us. For thousands of years, we've always had it. And there are two kinds of mistakes we can make in an example. Let's just say I hear a rustling in the bushes behind me. Okay, I hear a rustling in the bushes and I go, oh, I wonder what that is. I think it's just a... It could be a tiger. I think it's a tiger. So everybody run, get out of the way. It's just a tiger. And then I go up to it and I'll, nothing, nothing. It's just a squirrel. Now everybody makes fun of me. They're like, you thought it was a tiger. You thought it was a jungle cat and it's just a squirrel. Silly John. And I'm like, I know, I know. The, the consequence to, uh, to my error is embarrassment. But we move on, right? We forget about it. But if I make the reverse mistake, there's a wrestling in the bushes, and I go, I'm gonna go check it out. I think it's just a squirrel. Everybody, come here. And then it's a real tiger. Now, I've made another mistake. It too has a consequence, my death, right? And so over time, we have evolved with a negativity bias. We don't call it that. We say it's better safe than sorry but we take that negativity bias into many areas of our lives. We use it on people. I don't know you, you're from another tribe. Can I trust you? I doubt it, I'll shoot first and ask questions later. I'll be skeptical of you because it's good for survival. Our neg negativity bias might be good for humans to survive, but it is not good for human beings to thrive. For that, we need love. And with love, we begin to overcome our negativity bias. It moves us from survival to thrival. And in the process, we might change them as well. So here's how negativity bias could be sabotaging your life and the lives of other people. It'll be on the screens here. This is the cycle that we go through. First, you got negative thinking, right? I don't know that person. I don't trust that person. I wish they were more whatever. And you know what? People are suspicious and judgmental and are not pleasant to be around. It creates relational relational judgment, distance. Negative thinking leads to suspicious suspicion and judgment. That then leads to relational distance. I, I, I got to stay away. I don't like that person. You push them away. And two things are going to happen, right? You keep your distance from them, but also you're not very pleasant to be around because you're suspicious and judgmental. And so they keep their distance from you. They don't want to be around you either. So you're pushing each other away. And what will that do? Well, that will lead to confirmation and reinforcement. See, I knew it. They're not trustworthy. They are mean. They are judgmental. They're a bad person. All this just confirms our negative thinking. And we go around and round and round. 
And the cycle continues, and we're not being the loving people God's called us to be. Jesus calls us out of negative thinking into love. Jesus is forgiving the people who are crucifying him with his last dying breath. I read of an advertisement for an old car. It'll be on the screens. Used car for sale. This car runs okay. Tires are pretty new. That's about it. Has no radio. The acceleration is sluggish. The clutch is sticky. The back hood latch doesn't work. You must prop it with a stick. And its gas mileage is probably no better than 10 to 15 miles per gallon. In general, it's an American car made during the time when American cars were built very poorly. The $500 price quoted above is just because all my friends tell me that a running car must be worth at least $500. I suppose I'll bargain for a better price. Okay, fairly honest. Let's see that. Just spend a little bit more. Here's another way to put it. Established car for sale. With nearly new tires, this car really holds the road. An empty space is available, allowing you to put the stereo system of your choice. With acceleration like this, you won't have to worry about getting pulled over. A special stick is included at no additional cost that conveniently props up the back hood. When you buy this American-made car, you're supporting our country and the freedom we enjoy. We'll sacrifice for $499.99. Special stick. That's great. I think some well-intentioned Christians have sold Jesus in a similar way. Would you like to live forever? Would you like your sins to be forgiven in a fresh start? Do you want to spend eternity in paradise instead of burning in hell? Some take it even further. Would you like a prosperous life? Are you ready to claim the health and wealth that God has in store for you? And what have they done? They've ordered a gospel that cost them nothing and has offered them everything. No, that's not real. Following Jesus is hard. It's costly. Following Jesus is about loving everybody always, even your enemies. That's the gospel. Following Jesus is beautiful. It's life-giving. It's worth it. It's the best way to be a human. Following Jesus is the best way to live. I want to invite Noe and the worship band to come up. And as I was looking at this book, uh, I looked at the cover, and I got a picture of the cover on the screen, and I was like, I don't get it, right? What is that? What are those dots? I had no idea. And I go, I'm curious, so I'm going to read this book and find out. And I go, he's got to talk about it because I don't even know what's going on on the cover. And so I start reading the book. And he doesn't mention at all the whole time what the cover means until the epilogue at the very end. Spoiler alert. Those fingerprints are the fingerprints of Ugandan witch doctors who learn English at his school. Isn't that just unbelievable? That the dude is called to love, and he does, and he builds these schools and trains these evil people to learn to love God and love others, and that he actually puts their fingerprints all upon the cover of this book. It's amazing. That's the kind of love we're called to. You got an enemy? You got a friend of me? We're called to pray for those to bless those. Anybody can love the people around you. Anybody can love the people who are nice to you. Anybody can love their family or friends. They're easy to love. They're great. It's hard to love that jerk that no one likes. It's hard to like that person who, and to love that person who ruined your reputation. It's hard to love those people. But we're called to love everybody always.
God, I pray in Jesus' name that this sinks in, that we love everybody always, that we live the kind of life of love you've called us to. God, thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us, and that you gave us the example on the cross, forgiving your enemies who are killing you with your last dying breath. So God, we pray for your help and pray that you continue to move in us. Do it again, God. The thing that you worked, that you began in us, would you continue? We love you, Jesus. Take us where you want us to go in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we close with this song together? Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you would never fail me Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you would never fail me yet. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. You never fail me yet. Oh, you never fail. I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass my heart will sing your praise again Jesus you're still enough keep me within your love my heart will sing your still stands great is your faithfulness faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you never fail your promise still stands great is your faithfulness Faithfulness, I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence.